listening to Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny, a listener-supported podcast located at revelationsradionews.com. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and my staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Podcasting to you from a formerly balmy central Oklahoma, where I am one of your hosts. My name is Tim Kilkenny. And podcasting from Piedmont, where we are joined by someone who Jason Burmis calls the goat, but we call the Babe Ruth of Pop podcasting i'm andrew hoffman hello hello did uh, my ears are burning you know what i got a couple of emails from people this week on that babe ruth of podcasting moniker that you've given me and one of them was suggesting that since i'm canadian you should actually be calling me the joe carter of podcasting Uh, i'll take either way but uh tim 52 shows a year kilkenny and andrew tim are you sure we're recording hoffman how the hell are you guys doing We are, we're hanging in there. We're hanging we're, in there. Glad, <laughs> glad to talk to you. So if Tim, you, got, you know I'm not going to let you live down that 52 shows a year thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just motivated, man. I'm just motivated. I'm glad. <laughs> my, my dreams are always bigger than, than what actually gets accomplished, but I get excited. <laughs> more, more I'll settle for more than though. one show a year. <laughs> <laughs> Considering we had two full calendar years at least of no shows. <laughs> 52 would be, I mean, just let's aim high, right? Aim high. I think we've only missed one. No, we missed a whole month. No, we missed <laughs> a whole month last. Okay, so let's backtrack. So people actually emailed you about that, and I have to check with Andrew because I was thinking of the same thing before we started the podcast. What do you mean when you say the Bade Roof of Podcasting? What I got as a I'm pretty sports, I'm not a huge baseball guy, but I'm pretty sports adjacent. I don't know, but. The Babe Ruth of podcasting is in like one of the firsts and also one of the best. Yes. Ah. So not not I like see. the very first, not right. the Honus Wagner. Right. But, <laughs> but just <laughs> the Ty Cobb. The best. Yeah. So. We're gonna have to switch to a hockey analogy. I don't know what you Americans talk about half the time. <laughs> the great one so, of podcasting. Uh, there you I, go. Yeah. Okay. I oh oh I'm Gretzky. I guess. Yeah, the Gretzky. Okay, we could do the Wayne Gretzky. That's yeah, but I'm from Calgary, so I it's like I'm genetically engineered to hate Gretzky. Oh, okay. um, so is he from Ontario? 
Uh, he's pre- yeah, I guess he's from Ontario, but he played for Edmonton for a number of years, oh. which is Calgary's big rival. So, um, I was I was a big Lemieux fan growing up. Do you guys yeah. know Lemieux? Yes, down there? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. Okay. There you go. Well, we can do Le- the Claude Lemieux of, of <laughs> I don't know who Claude Wait. Lemieux is, but <laughs> Oh, it's not Claude Lemieux? No, it's, it's Mario. Mario. Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux. <laughs> big hockey fan here. Big hockey. <laughs> now that we've completely lost the listenership, let's go. <laughs> People are listening like, oh my gosh, James is just, he's just doing, he's doing uh, charity work at this point. What is going on? Before we get off the topic of Canada, I mean, it's kind of the hot topic these days. I wanted to ask you, James, are you a little bit proud of your country? I know for a while you were, I think you were maybe disappointed, but are you feeling a little bit more pride these days? I mean, that's, that's the wrong way to frame it because. Okay. Pride in a country is such a weird yeah, I agree, I agree. concept. That's, that's but a good point. I, I get what you're saying. I am glad that this is happening. I'm glad that people are energized. I'm glad that there is a spirit of resistance that is rising to the tyranny that's clearly there. So, yes, those are all good things, and I'm behind that. I, I and I get I get why it is you know why they're draping themselves in the Canadian flag and singing O Canada and what have you. It's precisely to counter the. Oh, this is all foreign influence. Oh, it's funded by Americans and Russians and whatever. And no, (laughs) of course, they're going to try to put that spin on it. So I I certainly understand why the patriotic element of it comes in and what have you. But, you know, I mean, you know, my feelings on the idea of nation states and their the the authority with which they govern their subjects and oh yeah you know let's salute the queen harder <laughs> like that's not that's not my idea of freedom ultimately yeah yeah i get that i i get that i uh yeah i have a lot of the same feelings about america most of the time but but yeah okay so let me let me give a more sort of uh detailed answer to what you're saying is uh, i i think something that's i mean uh, This is something I go back to when I try to think of myself and my upbringing and where, you know, how, how did James Corbett happen? (laughs) Why, why, how did I get into this and why am I like this? It's, it's an interesting question to me because as I've pointed out many, many times, being a Canadian, I am, uh, or, you know, being born in Canada, I was from birth, uh, steeped in the quasi-socialist, mostly socialist kind of ethos of Canada uh, clearly, Canadian politics is much further to the left, the traditional left, than American politics. And people tend to think of the state in quasi-godlike terms, at least fuzzy terms, like the state's there to help us. And, oh, you know, our government is for, there for our good and all of that stuff. And I, I, I went along with it for a lot of my life. And, you know, how, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't the government be acting in our best interest? So, and, and um, having removed myself from that for a year in Ireland, for 17 years in Japan, uh, it really has struck me the more I go back to Canada and see and interact with people there, this, th- that underlying mentality of not really questioning politics or politicians. Like, yeah, there's some bad politicians and they, they're a bit corrupt. But on the whole, government itself is a good thing. And so it is certainly a good thing to see people really rising up against and recognizing and identifying government governmental tyranny. I fear that it'll fall into a left-right trap and, oh, it's all 
Trudeau and the liberals. Once we get the conservatives in power, it'll be so much better, which, of course, is a lie because uh, Parliament just had a vote on uh, a resolution that was going to demand that the government give a detailed plan for uh, removing all mandates and restrictions by, I think, February 28th. And uh, that that uh, did not pass. There were uh, 151 yeas, 185 nays, and that included both liberals and conservatives voting against that measure. So it's not a left-right thing. It is not. It, um, and I hope people don't get suckered into that phony paradigm. But your listeners know all about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Well, and suckered into that paradigm and possibly suckered into the same January 6th trap mm. of... Well, you were there, and therefore we're going to lock you up and throw away the key. Or if, um, I don't know if you happened to hear Chris White's recent podcast, he was talking about the Canadian trucker thing, but in the context of Tiananmen Square, and where the communists, you know, everyone was jumping around, peace and love, and and we're happy, we're singing, we're going to stop the communism, and then they came in and mowed them all down. And people got scared and and shut up in China, and they've you know full communism for twenty years. So and and counting. So it's when the state uh, has to reveal itself. I think in some ways that can be a good thing for the fact that they they will kill you uh, for for disobedience. Uh, but it's also you know what happens then. Are people still going to stand up or are people going to sit down and go away or, you know, go, yeah. go quietly? And, and to what extent will they be allowed to make that decision? Uh, it's really striking me more and more clearly every single day, although I don't think this ever would have been surprising to me in the 15 years I've been doing the corporate report. But it's really a visceral, palpable reality now that this precisely what we have just seen in the past few weeks will be literally impossible in just a few years, if the agenda continues. Um, one thing that was just passing through the news wires just a few weeks ago, uh, the uh, the Biden infrastructure bill is one of the things buried deep inside that. 2026, by 2026, all cars will have a kill, kill switch. switch. Yeah. You're not going to have any kind of convoy yeah. if they have the kill switch in place. And now, of course, they invoke the Emergency Emergencies Act. Why? In order to start cracking down on crowdfunding. You guys think you're going to be able to spend money the way you want? Oh, no, no, no. Well, in a few years, I'm telling you, the central bank digital currencies are coming and they're going to be pushing that. And you're certainly not going to be crowdfunding any sort of freedom convoy with the CBDC. <laughs> that's for sure. So yeah. here we are. I mean, we are in the last days of ability to resist this agenda. Mm -hmm. I hope people really understand the hour of the time. It's a couple things. One, if, if we do go to CBDC or which is the, they're trying to push, but like, if you look at GoFundMe, I don't know how you can look at what happened with GoFundMe and be like, you know, it'd be cool if all money was digital. It's like, no, <laughs> the moment that they decide that this money is going to the wrong place, it gets shut off. I mean, it's perfect, perfect example. And then uh, from there, it's like, you know, we have, I'm thankful. So I asked you that question kind of because last year or so, I've been disappointed in Canada. I'm not Canadian, but my mother is. My whole, her side of the family is up there. And so I've just been kind of disappointed watching it, you know, circle the drain and have been, I don't know, I don't want to say proud either, but just, you know, heartened by the response. But mm. 
again, I think that we are very, very uh, lucky that this all took place in one of the most polite societies on the planet. <laughs> because it, it, the optics of going in and mowing down a bunch of Canadians is not going to be great. <laughs> If you go in and mow down a bunch of Americans, you know, they have guns and they, you know, there was racists and they have Black Lives Matter. And we're just accustomed to strange, weird violence and protests, especially in the United States. But in Canada and worldwide, everybody loves Canadians. You know, my my, my mom's always telling me, get a Canadian passport because you, know, you can go anywhere with a Canadian passport. <laughs> and it's, it's true. So I think, I don't know, with I think the optics of it are... It does put the powers that shouldn't be World Economic Forum, uh, you know, and New World Order in a in a weird spot. Not that they're uncomfortable, but that it's going to be interesting how they manage try to manage their way out of it. I I completely agree with you, um, Andrew. You said uh, they're trying to connect this into January six. I completely agree with that. They're trying to frame this as some sort of January 6th moment for Canada. And I'd like to think that everyone, even the people who don't necessarily support this, can see through that ridiculous mm-hmm. nonsense. But uh, I'm interested to see the extent to which the mainstream media will be able to influence this conversation. I think, I really think we have reached the point where they are not able to direct the narrative in the way that they have yeah. been accustomed yeah. to doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really falling apart and it, dramatically. And I think that's one of the reasons why COVID-19 is hitting now. I think this is one of the reasons they're bringing this out is because their narrative is completely collapsing around them. And they're spending their last remaining shreds of credit credibility with the public in order to try to ram this agenda through. I think precisely to get to that end goal of the, the that time a few years in the future where this will be literally impossible. The, the January 6th thing, there's a couple of things that the trucker convoy has going for it that makes it so much better than January 6th. And one of them, it's longer than a day, mm. which is a big deal. Because the more and more people that get out and see this, the more people are like, hey, wait a second. These aren't, yeah. you know, these aren't racist. These aren't this. You know, people are baking cookies. There's Facebook moms groups baking food for people. And this is not a... Twitter conversation. <laughs> this is people getting up and going outside and in interfacing with the other human beings around them, which is just something that we've been led not to do. And there are so many people. And once you get together with other people, it's hard to hate them. It's hard to be mad at them. It's hard to, you know, and I think those two things, and also Trump was such a, a, a polarizing person, it was easy to kind of paint a movement as one way or the other. Um, so all those things, I think, really help it not be January 6th. Um, but I also, I heard you on a recent podcast where you talked about that you look back at 2019 and saw how a lot of really crazy stuff was happening. And one of them was the Hong Kong riots. Um, what else was happening? There was the the France. Yellow vests. Yellow vests um, in France, off. right? It was yep. like like. 20, 30 weeks going strong, like it yep. was still going. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, there was stuff happening in Latin America. Um, uh, various strikes and protests were happening in, in other countries. I'd have to bring up the article because I, I was laying it out at the time. And I was saying, you know, th- this is all over the place. There's something big happening. And I also wrote an editorial about... Uh, you know, look at all these drills they're also doing simultaneously. They're prepping for something. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were prepping for something. And in retrospect, it becomes very obvious what they were prepping for. And, and uh, I will do more on this later this year. But I really do think October 2019 was where all of the cards were laid out on the table. Event mm-hmm. 201, 
the Wuhan games, and the Milken Institute um, conversation where right. Fauci and Dr. Bright um, and uh, whoever else was on that panel were literally talking about the future of vaccines and how how are we going to get this new technology through? It's going to take 10, if everything goes perfectly, it'll take 10 years of testing and clinical phase trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, before we even get anything out of in, into the approval process. And what what vaccine manufacturer is going to spend the hundreds of millions of dollars in order to do this uh, on the promise of maybe you might have a usable product by the end of it? No, no, no. And Fauci turns to Bright and says, well, that's where the government comes in. Uh, you know, you're going to fund yeah. this. And it was all there. I mean, that was the agenda. And uh, I, I mean, again, this is one of those things when you're seeing it in the newswire every single day, you just start to see um, exactly what this agenda is about, because not only are Pfizer and BioNTech and everyone setting up their uh, Moderna's expanding into Asia, um, BioNTech is setting up new portable uh, vaccine production, mRNA production laboratory things that they're going to start sending out to Africa and what have you. Um, but here's one that I literally just saw a couple of days ago. Harnessing vaccine technology to heal bone. Huh, that's weird. What are they talking about? What kind of vaccine can heal a bone? Well, they go on to say, uh, to enhance the regeneration of bone, the Food and Drug Administration approved recombinant human bone morphogenetic protein 2, or BMP2. However, it is expensive and only moderately effective. Researchers at Mayo Clinic, along with cl colleagues in the Netherlands and Germany, may have a viable, less risky alternative. Messenger RNA. The, this well-known platform for vaccines has already proven to be safe in human use by the FDA. This is it. This is what it was all about all along, is to introduce yeah. this technology uh, and and get it approved and and set the, set the precedent. Um, that's the thing that I've been most concerned about, I think, really, for the past couple of years, is that this isn't it. This isn't the final agenda. This is the precedent for yeah. the, the, the setting the, uh, the infrastructure for, you know, the way forward. This is what it's going to be forever now. And now we're going to be subject to all of these radical alterations of our bodies and hijacking of our cells and ultimately the, the changing of our genome on the basis of what's going to be sold to us as vaccines that have nothing to do with anything we've ever known as vaccine technology. Safe and right. effective. And, and Fauci in 2019 was speaking from the experience of being involved with Moderna and them not being able to get an mRNA product to market mm -hmm. and with the HIV vaccine, which, you know, we were supposed to have an AIDS vaccine 30 years ago. And he, you know, he knew this is not going to happen if we go through the as as corrupt and captured as that whole process is, it still wasn't going to make it through. And so they needed the emergency. And and now, um, like he just mentioned, they're using what was rushed through on the basis of the emergency as, oh, it's FDA approved. It's it's proven. This is a proven technology. No one has any concerns about mRNA anymore because it's, you know, it's out there. And on that note, what do you think about the um, some of the reports on some batches being much worse than others? Um, other claims about there's no way they can make that much mRNA, you know, for, for the number of vaccines that are are being injected all over the world. 
Um, do you think it's just establishing the platform and yeah, they want to do mRNA, but most of the, most of what they've done isn't isn't that to this point? Or do you think it's all um, mRNA vaccines already? Uh, that is a very good question. I'm open to any possibility there. I am not in a position to be able to to really under to, to to state that. I I I can only look at the information that's out there. I'm not a researcher myself, so I can't really say say what's going on. The possibility that there are certain batches that are the bad batches certainly it does make sense. It's very plausible, and I've seen the the types of things that you're talking about. That type of analysis, I'm certainly willing to go with that idea, and that would of course suggest there is some discrepancy. Something different is being inserted into certain batches, and what is that, and how is that working? Again, I I'm out here on the outside looking in with you. Um, but I, I, yeah, it would not surprise me in the least if it turns out that there is some major smoke and mirrors at play here for something else entirely. And in fact, that's, if you really want to drill down, that's the even scarier part going forward. I mean, even the things that they have announced and openly talked about, like the idea of vaccinating people not through vaccines, we're not going to stick needles in your arm. No, it'll be mosquitoes, genetically modified mosquitoes will be delivering these. Or inserting it into foods uh, in ways that you'll eat something and you and then you'll have whatever it is, this mRNA or something else will invade your body. I, I mean, crazy, crazy stuff is happening. And I, uh, the only thing I know for certain is we won't know about it until it's already happened. Right. Yeah. It's a, just like they're, they're thinking about maybe doing some uh, high aerosol spraying, you know, for <laughs> climate change. They're thinking yeah. about it maybe sometime yeah. in the future. Not that they've been spraying us virtually nonstop for 10 years, 15 years. But so do you think, James, enough people are enough awake that, that were, you know, you, met, you mentioned you don't think the mainstream can push the narrative in the same way. And I, I certainly agree with that. I mean, if you just look at, at the ratings for these, hot, you know, propaganda news shows, no one watches anymore. So how do you get propagandized if no one watches? And, you know, but are enough people enough awake that we've, mm. you know, we've got we've got enough chance to to turn this thing around? Yeah, that's the question. And that remains undecided at the moment. Um, I would not say I'm overly optimistic as things stand in this precise moment. And there are a number of reasons for that, one of which would be that even if we were to, I mean, I, I do think there's clearly a move away from the old dinosaur media that's taking mm -hmm. place and they're feeling that. But that doesn't mean that propaganda is not taking place in the online info spaces, even the quasi-independent spaces or social media or what have you. Of course, no. Of course, that's where they are concentrating their firepower at the moment. And we see that I mean, overtly, as I documented in the weaponization of social media, I've talked about all of the, I mean, every military and intelligence agency in the world has programs for creating fake personas and, and populating uh, social media feeds with fake information and what have you. This is, this is, you know, all of these studies that come out looking at the, you know, the Russian propaganda matrix and all of this. I mean, it's one of those things where it's projection, where clearly they're talking about the types of things that the NATO and Atlantic Council and their partners and all of those people are already doing. And yeah, I'm sure Russia is doing it too. And I'm sure the Chinese and everyone else is doing it. Yes. But that's kind of the point. Um, but also even beyond that, really what 
what really worries me is operations like QAnon. You know, things that we have seen play out over the past few years that clearly, whatever their origin, however that got started, clearly was used and directed in a certain way in order to precisely to grab those people who would be inclined, perhaps already down the proverbial rabbit hole, or at least inclined to go that way, to grab them and to direct them in a in a certain direction. And I think, honestly, I feel that that was a test run for what is possible in the future. 100%. 100% and yeah. uh, there's, there's, uh, and, uh, I saw a video recently on the dead internet theory. I think that's what it's called. Where <laughs> okay, there's, yeah. there's this theory that most yeah. of the things that you interact with online these days aren't even real. They are bots or uh, algorithmically tailored feeds that have already sort of pre-selected where you're going to go and what you're going to think about. And to whatever extent that is literally true, I think it will be literally true in the future that um, we will have less and less agency over anything that happens online, anything that we're seeing or hearing, and what we're interacting with. Are we interacting with real people? Less and less. Um, uh, we will be interacting less and less with real people as, as we go forward, I think. So that's Really, the danger is that we we go forward into this eyes wide open about mainstream dinosaur media and eyes wide shut about what's taking place online now. Hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. The the TV isn't their only weapon anymore for no. sure. And you know, do you think it's more of an issue in specifically alternative media? Do you think there's a lot of people that are are purposefully being deceitful, or is it more of a case of people are gullible and and they've got someone that tells them I'm a government source and and here's what's going on and they they run with it, you know, which always really annoys me. It's like that. Yes, is that the same government source that told you the ten things that didn't happen the last ten times? Like, at, at yeah. what point do you eventually stop? listening to the inside sources, but um, what's your kind of feeling for, for that? Uh, I Again, I think it's instructive to look at the types of things, the network analysis and other things that they're doing against the, you know, the Russian disinformation bots and things. Because again, I think they're revealing about how these things work, not necessarily in the way that they're mm. saying, but um, right. I think just generally. And one of the things that they always stress or constantly try to point out is that uh, there are certain dedicated centers of Russian bot disinformation where which become the sort of feeders. And they they these are the few sources from which everyone is sourcing. And then it starts to spread out from there. These are the amplifiers of the of the uh, the disinformation. And I think that is probably how this works. I think disinformation, it's not like everyone is a disinfo bot. It's that there are certain influential voices that as if they can be co controlled, corrupted, co-opted, um, people can start to trust this or that source. And then uh, the other people will organically take that information and start spreading it to others. I think it is I think it is still mostly organic. It's just that this the core of it is corrupted or co-opted. Hmm. Um, but then you start to fall into the the old Sunstein, Sunstein trap of yeah. where now it becomes the game of, okay, find the cognitive infiltrators. So now, uh, of course, now it's just right. the finger point game. You're a cognitive. You, know, you don't believe what I believe. You're a cognitive. And they, they win just by getting us to fight with each other. So it's, you know, it's harder and harder 
to to do this. I I actually look back to the early days of me doing this with something of maybe rose-colored glasses at this yeah. point, but it certainly felt a lot more clear hmm. um, what was happening. There was this was the mainstream establishment narrative, and they didn't. They weren't looking at the Eye of Sauron was not. <laughs> Side note, Andrew, I've I've read The Hobbit and uh, Fellowship of the Rings with my eight year old boy now, and we're on to the Two Towers. So you'll be proud. Nice. That's right. awesome. Um, <laughs> but the Eye of Sauron was not on the internet as as clearly as it is now. It wasn't a de- decade and a half ago. It is now. So now, unfortunately, the battle is moving over over to this sphere and now it becomes well who do i trust and that's why my my, my message has not changed one jot since i started this which is yeah. that do not make this about people do not make this about personalities do not make this the question of what source do i trust because right. if they get you playing that game they can get you caught up in the cognitive infiltrator sunstein trap um i never ever ever want to exhort that I always say triangulate information as best you can from as many sources as you can, and you will come to a better understanding. And do not just take any source at face value. Yeah. So, you know, just like a, a meme that sounds like it might be right, <laughs> might, might not actually. Yeah, this is, this is the problem. Actually, yeah, like. you bring up the core of what I think is the problem that we're facing is that even the well-meaning people who are starting to realize the problems with the mainstream are going to copy that mainstream paradigm in the new online independent space, whereby information flows from authoritative sources and Mm. you just put it out. And I don't want to start generational fights here, but I think there is a a generational thing that we, I'm sure by this point, we've all noticed where our our parents or grandparents, depending how old uh, you may be, tend to take information that is being spread on online and forward it to everyone they know. Hey, I just saw this. And it's like, did you look into that at all? And this is, again, this is one of those things that the, of course, the fact checkers and the CBCs and whoever of the world will come out and say, oh, you know, your dumb grandma's spreading this meme from Facebook and you're going to have to inform them that this isn't true. And to a certain extent, that is true, that there are people who just pass along information without vetting it in any form. And then there are other people who pass it information along in a form that is inherently not just not useful, but actually counterproductive. When you Absolutely. put some sort of, you know, meme out there or or as is becoming more and more common in the social media spaces where people tend to congregate these days, you just put a, a, a screenshot of an oh, article God. title or something or the headline <laughs> right. and Absolutely. people start then having con- entire yeah. conversations yeah. about the screenshot yeah. of that headline mm-hmm. without any reference to the actual article that's being referenced or what it talks about or any sources of any information. And more often than not, you drill down on that screenshot of the headline and, oh, it's totally bunk or it's or it's just blatant clickbait or what have you. Uh, yeah, we, we need to smarten up real fast on basic information hygiene and, and, or, or else they, you know, the fact checkers of the world will win. 
Entirely. Because they'll be able to get people trapped into uh, promoting demonstrably false information. And once that happens a number of times, people will start to go, well, I think the internet isn't safe. I think we do need to have some sort of uh, fact-checking body. I think yes. the government should appoint it. Uh, entire <laughs> entire forum conversations that, you know, are a screenshot of a, yeah. <laughs> of a Twitter, like, tweet that was posted on Reddit or something. Yeah, exactly. It's Actually, yeah, I'll give you of, a, like, yeah. A, a yeah, I'll give you the perfect uh, example of that because I a telegram. several years ago I would occasionally check the uh, conspiracy subreddit r slash conspiracy because yeah. occasionally there was some good information in there. Sure. There was at least some good conversations that happened. Yeah, um, but there was a point several years ago where they started yep. to allow essentially yeah just screenshots of. Twitter usually posts. Twitter yep. posts as so, and that's all there is there. The last time I checked a couple yeah. of years ago, that's it was just screenshots of Twitter posts, yeah. and people would have conversations about them. And inevitably, no sources, no details, nothing verifiable. It just became a totally one hundred percent. What do I say? Not not usable for my purposes of being a researcher trying to get information. It just became people talking about screenshots of Twitter, and that's that's exactly how you derail this information into total nonsense land. Telegram is the new version of that, by the way. It, every, yes. Everybody's moved on to Telegram because I don't know. Telegram skyrocketed in popularity. They had like a million downloads the day after. It was like January seventh last year, and so it seems like all the conspiracy slash or and or conservative people are all on Telegram. So it's, again, the whole you know forum posts based off screenshots of Twitter or Reddit posts. It's just it's tough. It's, but but just but about the generational thing, is it because we were stuck in chat rooms as kids? We we're like you know typing age, sex, location, like hey, who are you? And we'd have to like figure out who people were that we were talking to. And then we, you know we, inevitably many of us got burned. We're like this probably isn't even a girl. <laughs> this is probably <laughs> something else. And you get older and you're like that was silly. Or you you know we share stuff on MySpace or Facebook and then it came back to bite us in the butt we're like hey that, that maybe all information on the internet isn't good and we had this like these formative years not too formative like they weren't before we were 20 but there was the internet where we could kind of figure out stuff uh, where our parents they never really got any of that they're just like oh yeah yeah this Nigerian prince I just gotta forward him a thousand dollars and he's gonna send me a million it, it feels like more of a, just a coming of age with the technology type of thing. Yeah, I, I, I again, I don't want to make it a generational no, I, thing. I probably shouldn't have framed it that way. But there is certainly a media literacy level yeah. that is lacking, shall we say, in a large segment of the population. And I don't. I don't know exactly what it is that, uh, you know, what are the formative experiences that contribute to one's media literacy, but there is something to do with that. The more familiarity you have with the types of online interactions and start to realize that things are not just as just, I mean, we've been told that all our life. In fact, I'm sure that this has been a thing for a very long time. You can't believe everything you read, right? I mean, everyone's been told that. But I, I, I do think there was, and for people who grew up and lived their entire lives in the dinosaur media paradigm, I can understand why they would be in that mentality. Well, you know, everything that gets published has to have, you know, 15 checks before it gets published. And they couldn't publish anything wrong because they'll be sued for libel. That that mentality, although it's demonstrably untrue, <laughs> at any rate, that mentality, I think, has pervaded a lot of the public so that when they move into the online space, they bring that with them. And anything they see, even a screenshot of a Twitter headline, must be, must encapsulate reality. <laughs> and, uh... 
people who don't see through that are going to lose big time in the coming info wars. But even in their defense, like my grandfather used to read the paper every day. But back when my grandfather would read the paper every day when he was raising, you know, my dad, the, the papers weren't owned by six corporations, <laughs> like every paper in the United States. I'm not saying that they told the truth, but, it, you know, it was uh, it was still not completely easily controlled. And so well, there, there were actual local papers yeah. instead of local papers in name only that just reprint stuff from yeah. Yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. larger corporation. Anyway, so we're kind of off topic, but yeah, there's or, a little or bit they, of it. You know, I, I saw my old hometown paper, you know, had some changes to it recently. And, uh, but, they must have got some of that Google money because, man, there's a positive vaccine story every edition. Wow. You know, just, hmm, I wonder where that money came from. Safe and effective. They're safe and effective. So, from here, where do we go? Because it, it we talked about the... Uh, strategic pullback or the rug pull theory. You talked about it uh, in one of the articles that you wrote. You're also telling people, hey, it's not over. Let's, and a lot of people are starting to feel like it's over. So from <laughs> here, where do we go? As in, what can we continue to do, do you think, to just to, to fight against what's coming next? I mean, it, tangentially, impossible question what's coming next what what what, yeah. is, what will it be <laughs> let me answer the first question first because i have a one word answer yeah what what should what can we be do, what should we be doing what 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 can we do to deflect the my answer is yes <laughs> my answer is yes whatever button it is that you have in front of you push it <laughs> i would say this is the time for just doing things just trying things um, we are. Uh, we, uh, we do not need paralysis analysis at this moment because uh, we are. I don't think people really understand the gravity of this moment. Um, yeah, I agree. So the way I've been framing it recently, and the way I, I really conceptualize this, um, I think right now the immediate concern for me, if we're looking very short term, is uh, so, some sort of cyber event, because I don't think they will be able to truly get the control of that media narrative that slipped away from them and less than until they bring in the restrictions on the internet. And that, I mean, so this is just clearly an analysis based on, well, if I was in a position of yeah, power, what yeah, right, would I do right. to maintain that power? I think that's, the, that's something they have to grasp on. So whether real, whether generated, whatever it is, some sort of cyber event to bring in the next phase of this, which will be obviously controls to get on the internet and controls of what you can do on the internet. Everything will be tracked back to your government-issued digital identity. And by that point, then, you know, what kind of, I mean, at that point, if you don't have it in real life, you don't have it. Let's put it that way. So that's sort of the, the near-term and then the medium-term analysis, uh, uh, digital money. Digital money is going to be the choke point for everything. And then longer-term, I, I really do think hot war is in the offing. I think they have that up their sleeve, and I think they can and will use that as the, again, of course, the, the ongoing war is the war against us by the powers that shouldn't be, and they will use hot war to bring to further their agenda. So actually, I further realize now... Agenda, hold on. I, Just would further their agenda against us or hot war as like uh, Russia invading NATO or both? 
Well, both, but but really against us. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And I think that uh, war serves the purpose of the war against humanity for every every side. Every side gets to, uh, uh, of course, enact not just emergency, but like war measures in order to change society. And and that's one thing that I hope people come out of the World War I documentary I did with the understanding that what that did as a, as, as, a, as a transitional thing, it truly changed people's perception of what government can do, what it should do, how it can control the citizenry. There were fundamental changes that took place during the First World War that completely altered the mindset to the point where it's like one of those things where you can't really look at history unless you truly look at the context of the people at the time. And in a way, we lose the context of anything pre-20th century because we're looking at it through that prism of all the things that we've just come to culturally sort of the part of the cultural understanding since that time, which is the government is there and it is the safety net and it does these things and it has these powers. And until we can remove that from our mindset, wait, but you know, there was no massive overarching federal government bureaucracy of everything back in, you know, 19th century U.S. or early, you know, late 18th century. How did that develop? What did that mean? How did people live without the government telling them what to do at all times and regulating everything? We can't even get into that mindset because of the change that's taken place. And that's what I see the, you know, the the, the 2D chess World War Three, if you will. That's what I see it being um, functioning as. It will completely transform people's understanding of what government is and how it will function. And of course, just as World War One brought in the League of Nations, World War Two brought in the United Nations, World War Three brings in the global government of some sort. I think that's that's the ostensible trigger for it. But but really, uh, I have I have tried. I've definitely tried to talk about this subject in the past and. Uh, many times, monetary reform, the monetary base, uh, you know, dollars and dollars and cents, and what are the alternatives to that? And I've talked about that many times over the years. And last year, uh, I had a, a, a presentation uh, at the Greater Reset Conference specifically about so survival currency. But I realize as much as I've talked about it, I haven't talked about it nearly enough. That really is, if there is a priority, if I was going to prioritize what people should be doing, I mean, of course I say yes, whatever it is, push that button, do it. But I really think people need to start really thinking about and forming not just communities, but mechanisms of exchange within those communities that are not dependent on obviously digital currencies or at least the ones that are being handed to us we have to think about ways of transacting outside of the system because that is the choke point and once they have us by those uh this is a family friendly show uh cojones you're fine Uh, (laughs) (laughs) once they have us by that they're it's game over uh we cannot operate without access to and a market of some sort and that that's what's coming so even just real quick, mine will be super quick. Uh, even if that is the case, wouldn't just a you could not have a hot war and just have a complete uh, economic economic collapse, then bring in the digital money. Uh, that, that was my thought. As last Friday, I think it was, I went golfing with uh, Andrew, and you know, one of the first thoughts, you know, just hey, here's a coffee for you, and then we're driving, and then we go to the, talking about you know hitting some balls around the golf course, and I just look over, I was like, you know, 
if I was in charge, I might crash the economy because it seems yeah. like this Corona thing's getting out of control. <laughs> well, generally, that's, that's how I conversations think, go. <laughs> when generally, Andrew and I, I think those out. things are linked. Actually, I mean, often yeah. uh, great yeah. military and geopolitical okay. disturbance is linked to economic. Um, but also, um, I, if you really want to look macro level at it, changes in world reserve currency and falls of empires. And the types of things that happen around those moments in time would be an instructive historical study. I know Catherine Austin Fitz was talking in some conversations last year about a link between um, times of pandemic and pandemic laws, quarantines and things like that, and um, changeovers in monetary systems. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I would say, obviously, military uh, events happening around the times of major economic calamities and or monetary changes. Um, and the, I mean, the obvious historical example that we'd be looking at most recently would be the Great Depression leading leading directly to World War II. And then when you look into the Great Depression and what was causing that, what was exacerbating that, what kind of institutions were formed to deal with that, and then how they played into World War II, boy, is there a story there. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm I am working on it. <laughs> Trust and, me. And, and the the faulty, incorrect mainstream history of basically the war brought us out of the depression. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. The, the same people that claim that were saying at the time, "Oh, the economy is going to crash when the war ends." <laughs> it's like, and the exact yeah. opposite happened. Yeah. So, so as far as a means of exchange and a you know, right on board with that. And I'm kind of curious what your, um, whether it's cryptocurrency or other means of exchange, what what you think uh, works best on, on that front. But also, you know, we kind of have to start looking at it like we're in a war, mm. right? I yeah. mean, yeah. do you feed your enemy? Do you, you know, because it's 10% cheaper or do you mm. find do you find a way to to spend money with people that don't hate you? And mm. Am, Jeff Bezos hates you. Yes, you know Cargill hates you. They, they want to kill you. So you know, food's a big thing. I think people can look for ways of supporting. You know, do you think food should be gro- grown organically without lots of glyphosate and GMOs and everything else? then find people that are doing that and, and support them. I mean, it would be nice to have, I don't know, I, I would like to be able to invest in an organic farm as opposed to like, oh, which, uh, which mutual fund would you like with your 401k? Would you like Vanguard or Vanguard? <laughs> or would you like this Vanguard <laughs> option? Or, yeah, we we might be able to get BlackRock in there for you. You know, yep. so yes, exactly right. No, you 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 hit on the the nail on the head in so many ways, and one of them that has really become. I mean, I've always sort of known it, but it's just funny to see it playing out. Is that who is it? that has been talking for a couple of hundred years now, or at least 150 years or something, about uh, the need for the workers of the world to unite. And we need a worker <laughs> revolt against these corporate structures of control, the ca- the evil capitalists. And, you know, it's going to be a worker revolution and all of this. And then when, when you have actual, real, not 
uh, you know, some sort of philosophical abstract personages, but real, actual blue-collar workers uniting and striking and saying, hell no. Suddenly it's like, no, these people are no, threatening like our national security. Ah. <laughs> and the exact people who would in other ways spew the usual socialist platitudes suddenly shy away from it when it happens in reality. It's almost like they hate actual workers and actual people. Uh, that's one of the things that occurs to me. But you're right, exactly right. We support the beast every single day when we put money in their pockets. We take our lifeblood and give it to them in order to precisely to further their agenda. They have our power because we give it to them every single day. And until people really start to internalize that, and as you say, really understand that we are at war and you are literally supporting the enemy when you support their their corporate oligarchical behemoth, when you are doing that, you are supporting it. And I'm not, I'm not saying you personally or, you know, you, are you guys listening? I mean, all of us, of course. I mean, I drive a car. I, I fill it up with gas from the gas station, which is one of the, you know, offshoots of the Seven Sisters. I mean, they're all, they're all controlled and yeah. we're all supporting that. Uh, anyone who's listening to this on some sort of electronic device, are you getting that device from Apple or from, you know, is it running some sort of Microsoft system? Of course, we're, we're supporting it in myriad ways. And until we really start to wrap our mind around that and realize the extent of the problem, how on earth are we going to start confronting that? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I've got mixed feelings on Andrew Torba and, and Gab, but I think he's right on with parallel economy. Mm. You know, you have to build your own system. Like, the, you're, you're not going to be allowed to participate in the way you want to participate in the existing system. You got to build your own. You got to build your own payment processing and and means marketplace and, and what have you. So it's, um, there was... Actually, I don't think I got it on our podcast, but there was, it was uh, Crystal Ball, I think is her name. And anyway, they had someone on who did a breakdown of Amazon and the Amazon Prime scam specifically and how, you know, it's such a good deal for the consumer, except when you find out how Amazon makes that work you're paying higher prices for everything to <laughs> because no one can if you sell if you are a company selling in the Amazon marketplace which you need because of all those prime customers who are only going to buy from Amazon then you cannot sell for cheaper elsewhere and there's you know the if you go back to covid and and look at who really really benefited uh, there's drug companies, what have you, but Amazon especially, man. They, Amazon, Costco, were, Walmart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> Although, to be fair, I mean, sometimes there is no business model in the conventional sense because it isn't a business model. Um, it, uh, I remember a few years ago when it came out that well, actually, Amazon is selling at a loss with, with the, uh, I think it was the Echo Dots or whatever it was right. at the time right. that they were pushing it and they were selling it to a point where they literally were not making, they were actually losing money by selling the product, but precisely so they could get it into everyone's homes. And why would they be doing this? Oh, and then suddenly there's this ring thing. And oh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to activate this new network and yeah. you're unless you opt out of it, you're going to be part of it. Hey, anyway, continue to shop at Amazon, guys. Google. I mean, yeah, I was, sometimes they I will was do that. YouTube. A free one. 
Yeah. Like here, here's a free yeah. Echo Dot. Like, oh no, thanks. Oh, thank <laughs> yeah. You. Did they when when you got your house? It was a brand new house, Andrew. Did they offer to put a ring in it? Well, that's that's when I was offered the free yeah. um, Echo Dot, and then yeah, that was a. I've I've had a few security system sales inquiries, but uh, but this the previous place also is when the Amazon Dot was offered from. Home yeah. insurance company or what have All you. the new construction have ring doorbells installed. It's kind of weird. Uh, Google does that too. Google has their little mesh network. Hey, you want some gr- the greatest Wi-Fi? It's the cheap, you know, the greatest bang for your buck. There's a little $100 mesh network. You get these three little pods and it's made by Google. And can you believe how cheap it is and so fast? And this is the best one. Yeah, I do believe how cheap it is. I know exactly why it's that cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... We covered about half of what I wanted to talk about, but we're kind of running out of time there. Um, so you've mentioned the fact that this is kind of strikes you as interesting, and, and I find it very interesting as well. The video that got you kicked off of YouTube was on the philosophy of science. <laughs> so I feel like there's a lesson in there in there somewhere for us, but just, um, I thought JFK Jr. did a, um, a good job in his, in his book on Fauci of talking about how, yeah, RFK Jr. RFK, I'm sorry, uh, RFK no Jr. Um, JFK Jr. is Q. We should know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's back. And he's, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till he comes back. Saves us all. <laughs> so the, uh, the kind of woke politically correct, version of science, RFK traces it back to Fauci and AIDS, where you you weren't allowed to say like, hey, you know, it's all these, um, this one group of people that's having this problem, you know, probably not something everyone else has to, to worry about or that we need to do mass testings or mass vaccination programs or, or, you know, mass PCR testing. But that was politically incorrect to point out, like, oh, well, if you're not an intravenous drug user and you're not engaged in promiscuous homosexual sex, you're probably not going to get AIDS. And that's then carried on throughout, where you just, you can't even say that vaccines might be anything except safe and effective. It's just, it's a, it's not a scientific viewpoint. It's a um, party line. Yeah. It's a, a politically political correctness deal. So, and I just think it's interesting that the video after all, you know, thousands of videos, the one that gets you kicked off of YouTube was, uh, you know, I don't know what year that was written, but it's, it wasn't a, wasn't some new um, hidden information from an inside source. It was from a philosophy book. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny, isn't it? Now, to be fair, that was just the third strike uh, after several warnings and then then two strikes. And so the third strike was my episode on Science Says, which was about the philosophy of science. So it wasn't completely that. But realistically, I think every single warning and strike before that point had been related to the broad topic of not questioning the science gurus. That That is the absolutely forbidden thing um, at this point on YouTube and elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, there is something to to think about with regards to that. 
What's the old adage, you know, in order to know who rules, you know who you cannot criticize. And it is the Peter J. Hotezes of the world and people like that. Fauci, mm. how dare you possibly question their judgment? Um, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, I don't know. I just thought that on the big scheme of things, it's ironic and funny that of all the things that I have said. And, yeah. and it's funny because I, I look back at my um, early days of doing this work and there are definitely moments when I started doing this where, uh, like when I called up uh, uh, Barry Cooper, who was a U of University of Calgary professor, uh, who was uh, part of the Bohemian Grove, and I saw his name in a membership list. So I'm like, I, you know what, I'll call him up and have a little interview with him. <laughs> so I did that. Uh, I remember thinking at that time, that was like sort of crossing a line into something else for me. I'm like, oh boy, you know, I'm, if, if there is an Eye of Sauron, it's going to start concentrating on me now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time I uploaded a video to YouTube um, under the title, I, I was... Um, I was, uh, it was about the World Trade Center bombing in 93 and the FBI links to it. And I, I was like, what do I call this? Uh, I, well, I should call it the FBI. WTC 1993 was an FBI job. And I remember typing that in as the video title. And I'm like, you know, this is the kind of thing I think I think they might see this at some point. This, <laughs> I, if there's a list, I'm going to be on it. And I had to commit and go, OK, am I going to publish this? Yes, I am. Here we go. Yeah. Click. And there are moments like that, you know, yeah. that were big things. And then eventually it gets to the point where I don't even think twice about it. It's just like, yeah, it's a Tuesday. Right. Of course I'm going to publish <laughs> FBI did WTC 93. Um, I mean, but, you know, there are those right? moments that are big hurdles and big things that you have to think about and you have to really commit. And then in the end, it was just talking about philosophy of science that was <laughs> just the step oh. too far. <laughs> Well, and, and speaking of, of stuff you've done recently, if people have not seen the Fake News Awards, mm. that was uh, <laughs> that was comedy. Tim was <laughs> Tim was like, you know, messaging me while watching like screenshots from your Fake News Awards. Uh, which, it was like, which like was, it was my version yeah. of live tweeting. It was like, there's commercials, Andrew. There's commercials. <laughs> it's it's possible that. Not everyone shares our sense of humor, but <laughs> we definitely do. But the the people that listen to this podcast will appreciate that. Absolutely, I, I definitely heard from at least one person who does not share that sense of humor. Who, who thought cares? it was such a waste of time. Who That's cares? it. I'm never supporting you again. <laughs> like, it was nice not knowing you. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, you know what? Uh, the most disappointing thing from that story is the fact that that clearly means you didn't see the previous fake news awards because they all have commercials. Oh. Oh, well, I've, I've, maybe the commercials were just not as memorable last year. They were really. <laughs> oh memorable my! This year. Dancing for, Dancing for <laughs> Doctors was my favorite. I gotta say. <laughs> maybe I just forgot. I just I don't know. Seeing Jeff Bezos's uh, <laughs> rocket, was, suggestively shaped rocket. You know. <laughs> yes, that was amazing. Speaking of back in the days when you very first started, you actually mentioned long, long ago that one of your formative videos that you watched was actually the same one that I watched, which was, and I don't hear it talked about much, and I don't know, he kind of fell off the face of the earth, but The Money Masters. Hmm. That was a great, great intro, and that's hmm. kind of what woke me up. It was, you know, first of all, it was 9-11 Truth, like Loose Change, Jason Burmis, but then the next thing, next stage for me was Money Masters was kind of, whoa, what is what is going on? This is not just 9-11. And I remember yep. that you had said that had a pretty big impact on yep. you. Have you ever talked to Bill still or... Dude. I have indeed. Um, type Bill Still into my search bar, and you will see I. I've probably. I can think to of it. one interview. I might have interviewed him a couple of times, okay. maybe a couple of times. Okay. I also interviewed. Um, I believe his name is Patrick. 
McCormick or something along those lines. He was the producer of the Money Masters. Nice. Mm. So I talked to him once. Um, again, I've talked about monetary reform since way since the beginning of the podcast because that was, as you say, that was a formative thing for me. And uh, for me, I, I frame it as in it's the domino effect where the first domino to fall was 9-11. But if there was nothing other than that, if I had just discovered, oh, yeah, we were right. clearly lied to about 9-11 and there was no other thing to it, then I could have perhaps compartmentalized that or just it might not have done anything. But that domino hit and then knocked over and then it hit the, the second domino, which was the right. money system. And then once I started to get to that level of it and I went, oh, okay, everything's, oh, wow, okay. So that was really what sent me down the rabbit hole. And Money Masters was a big part of that. It was just a, a, a very, a very lengthy documentary, but one that it had is. me transfixed. Because once you start to see the history in its context and you start to realize, oh, this is what the history was really about. You know, this is what wars for independence and things like this was what it was about. And here's the people who were undermining that. And this is what that. And then you start to see it in a whole different way. And that, so that had a big influence on me. Uh, I remember going back to Money Masters and uh, when I was putting together my Century of Enslavement documentary. And it, you know, I mean, it's still probably worth watching, but there were a lot of things where it's like, well, that quotation actually isn't true. And, that piece of history, uh, they could have done better with that and that kind of thing. But whatever, whatever sends you down the rabbit hole. Once you start looking for yourself, you know, and you start to come to a better understanding of it, I guess it, it was a gateway drug for me anyway. Yeah. Just, yeah. As, just as long as you don't end up a uh, Venus project waiting for the giant <laughs> supercomputer to, to <laughs> yeah. equitably distribute all the world's resources to everyone. You know, you know it's uh, funny because when I saw the first Zeitgeist I, I mean, I like everyone else. It, 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 at the time, in when it came out, and I think in 2007, it was very, you know, it was well put together for for that time anyway. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, this is really interesting. But I had an uneasy feeling about it, you know. And I I felt it didn't teach me anything I didn't already know. So why? Well, what's this leading up to? It was kind of the question. And as soon as I saw the second one, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. This is going in the <laughs> totally wrong direction. And I didn't even have the vocabulary for it at that time. I now realize, oh, it's, I mean, it's technocracy. They are, uh, whether they say it or not, they are technocracy inc. acolytes. Probably, they, probably Peter Joseph would distance himself, himself from that particular historical organization, but that's exactly what that is about. It's technocracy. Oh, and I knew that instantly as soon as I started watching it, like, nope, this is not the way. Ah, uh, I see. They were trying to rope people in with 9-11 truth and right. here's the central banks and stuff, but yeah, straight towards Venus Project and all that garbage. Yeah, yeah. He, maybe he was a willing dupe. I don't know. I do not see into the hearts and minds of men. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for me to judge. Jacques Fresco. Man, that was like his... I wonder if he's still alive, but yeah, that was an interesting... I think he died a few years ago, if I remember. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, moment in uh, alternative history. Anyway, your interview well, was 2013, Bill Still on Jekyll Island. I probably watched it years and years ago, but just forgot. Or listened to it, it was just podcast. Well, and to tie that together with, with QAnon... Whenever there's some magic bullet that's this is going <laughs> to fix everything and create utopia on Earth, like then you know it's. I don't think you understand. There's quantum computing in the future. <laughs> They're writing forum posts in back in time. You just don't understand, man. You just got to you know, trust actually, that process. It's funny. Uh, me and Brock had an interesting WTF moment 
<coughs> when we were putting together part two of my Al-Qaeda documentary. And I can't remember, like, t- so towards the end of that, we talk a little bit about Thomas Drake and the NSA and that side of the story. And we were looking at some footage of Thomas Drake in an interview. And I commented to Brock, hey, dude, look at his look at his lapel pin. And it's literally, it's just a cue. And I'm like, that's, man, that's weird. And, and uh, but, you know, okay, I guess is Thomas Drake into Q? All right, that was weird. And, but we didn't, I didn't uh, connect it until later on, we were looking at some footage of him in a conference in like 2011 or something. And he's got the same Q lapel pin. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, well, Q wasn't even a thing back then, right? And then I realized, oh, no, NS- Q is literally for Q clearance, right? The NSA thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, of course. And that, I mean, again, it's one of those things you start to forget. You just start to say Q and QAnon and whatever, but you forget, oh, no, the whole thing is that this is the good guys in military wow. intelligence and in the intelligence agencies who are on our side. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. You just got to trust the plan, James. Just trust the plan. <laughs> just trust the plan. So I guess you just don't get it, dude. You just if, don't get it. If it starts with, so I saw this on 4chan, <laughs> or uh, th- there's actually like white hats in the government that's really going to fix everything, or just uh, sit back, get your popcorn ready. And, you know, this is, these are all we shouldn't, red flags. I mean, we shouldn't dismiss it because clearly, as I said in Hopium, it speaks to it speaks to something real. You know, hope is a real, beautiful, and um, integral part of humanity, and we need that. But unfortunately, the synthetic substitutes that they're creating for it are just so enticing, so addictive. I get why people fall for it. Yeah. It's also kind of what we are here. It's a bad way to put it. People just want to know something that other people don't know. You don't know. You just don't know. You're not in the club. You're not in the, you know, if you knew, then, and people really want to feel elite, you know? And you find that in different religions, there's different sections, and, you know, the, oh, well, they don't know about this, so they don't know about this. Even in Christianity, there's different, oh, you got Levels just, of Freemasonry. Or, <laughs> levels yeah. of Freemasonry, but it's just unknown, you know, you got And so, Q, you know, you could, you could know the inside scoop was, yeah, watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I got sucked in. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. I got sucked in not to Q, but to at least to like thinking that something was like Trump's clearly not just gonna let them throw this election this like this brazenly, <laughs> this blatantly. Yeah, yeah it's, or the Supreme Court's gonna do something. They're not just gonna let this go as insanely brazen as this is. And no, 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 no checks, no balances, no Q, no nothing. Just you're you're an idiot forever thinking that it was gonna be different, Tim. It was a good and, lesson. And maybe we can... We all need the lesson. I needed the lesson myself. I, I remember um, back in the day that one of the first lessons, the crucibles, the test for me, was uh, uh, the 2006 midterm elections in the U.S. Okay. When, remember, the Democrats took over the House. And yep. so now they're going to start yep. challenging Bush. And I remember, I really vividly remember 
at that time, I was just starting to get into alt media and listening to podcasts and stuff. And I was listening to Alex Jones, who was saying, don't trust him, man. These Democrats, they're on the same side, two wings, same bird of prey. They're not going to don't they're not going to do anything. They're not going to impeach. And I was like, well, this is a test. I I think they're going to impeach and there's going to be something that happens and blah, blah, blah. And I remember seeing. And we're back. And for some reason, I lost Internet connection and. James was midpoint, but he doesn't want to go back to that point, which I don't blame him because this is our second time recording <laughs> a goodbye because James is a gentleman. And even though he's done other interviews today, he's signed back on to do two sign-offs with us because <laughs> once again, I forgot to hit record. This is who you listen to every week, ladies and gentlemen, somebody who can't remember to press the record button. I thank you for listening to me. And without further ado, James, thank you for coming back to say goodbye to everyone. No problem. You know, I deserve it for that opening shot I made about, are you sure we're recording? Uh, so here we are. I, I, almost I as never, if this was planned. I will never take offense. I will never take offense. Andrew knows. Andrew literally knows. Like, Andrew will stop talking five minutes in and be like, hey, Tim, are you recording this? You can edit this out, but I need to know. Because there's nothing more frustrating than doing, like, Andrew and I have done, like, two-hour show, and I'll just be yeah. like, oh, and I'll just curse, and he'll be like, you're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. It's the, I don't know if it's the ADD or the brain mold or <laughs> it's an inside joke no one's going to get. But anyway, thank you for the work that you do. And also, thank you for coming back on. And I don't even remember the other things I was going to say, but thank you. And I, 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 I remember I plugged you guys and, and gave you thanks for your podcast and told my listeners to go and support you if they're not already. But uh, I, I, Take I it all don't back. think I'll do that now. Just <laughs> whatever. Guys, just stop listening. No, I'm kidding. Of course, support Revelations Radio News. I appreciate you guys' podcast. Thank you for doing what you do and overcoming the technical hurdles that, trust me, as a podcaster, I know about the technical snafus, hurdles, mishaps, they happen. So uh, just keep doing it. Don't let it get you down. Thank you, James. Thank you very much, James. If Andrew doesn't know anything about the technical hurdles. He just knows he shows up and talks for a couple <laughs> hours and then the podcast <laughs> magically gets out and people start <laughs> donating and emailing us. <laughs> it's like a reality show when I listen to you guys. I love it. it. it, it well, it, you know, I, I just tell myself, this is probably isn't getting recorded anyway. So, <laughs> just, just say what you think. The just funny thing is, think, Andrew, you know. Timothy's gonna, Tim's going to tell you one day, uh, you know, actually, I've never recorded anything. <laughs> you never listen to the podcast. He never you? does. Right. As, as rarely as, you know, you could, you could play like the first 30 seconds and uh, you'd fool me. Yeah. <laughs> and then an hour of silence. <laughs> Who are all these people emailing and donating? I don't know, man. This, we just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh Well, now that we're completely incoherent and not making sense to the audience, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thank yeah, you for yeah. listening, everyone. And thank you for saying it's like a reality show because that's we, do, we, we, we don't claim to know everything. As a matter of fact, we don't claim to know anything. We just try to parse out what's possibly going on in the world around us we happen to look through it through a biblical lens and that is just how we look at stuff but we're also very honest with each other and we're guaranteed to be wrong about stuff or right about stuff on occasion and uh we're just you know doing our best to try and figure out what in the world is going on because it's not what's happening on the tv or on msn.com etc we're our secret is we're usually right about the stuff we rip off from James Corbett. 
<laughs> and then there's Claude Lemieux. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Claude, Claude, thank you, Claude. Thank you. <laughs> we are avid podcast listeners, so we listen to all kinds of stuff. That's probably one of our, our better features. And then we just try to condense it down. This is what we've come up with. So anyway. Thank you for all the research that you do. Very formative in us. And man, gosh, we've been doing shows for a long time. We actually had a sh- you on like 2012. I mean, it's nuts how long this has been going on. And uh, we just really appreciate you. And always look to you and uh, your videos for new information. I've, I've known you guys for a decade? It's crazy, wow. right? That does put it in perspective. I think I've, I think the first time you were on our show was literally 2012 or something like that. And very kind of you to be on our show back then. And then you had me on to talk about free software, Linux. I, I would have Andrew on one of these days, but I don't think he knows how to use a computer. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like them. He, he knows how to use them. He just doesn't like them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, 2012 was the first one. 2013, uh, beginning of 2013, you joined us for, 2013 is underway, join us as we talk about our, uh, to our good friend James Corbett about the coming year, the the dreaded prediction show. Oh, yeah. Even I should go back and re-listen, see what yeah. I said. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks for doing it again. And uh, please, if you guys don't know who James Corbett is, well, then I highly doubt that you listen to this podcast and don't know who he is. But go to CorbettReport.com, look at his stuff, and... Uh, Support him, support independent media, like he likes to say, and James M. Palato likes to say, they became the media. So please support them and uh, continue to uh, to, to uh, try to seek truth. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say-